Genesis 3, 8 to 18. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate. So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you, the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. I'm going to start with a question for you. Do you love a film or a book that has a well-told story? One with twists and turns in the plot, peril and danger um, for the main characters, but maybe hints of resolution and, and a bit of hope. I'm maybe surprised some people are a real fan of a good murder mystery. I've uh, recently finished the last book in the Shard Lake historic mystery series set in the reign of King Henry VIII. Thoroughly recommend them. I don't really enjoy the violence or gruesome details, but I'm really engaged by the narrative of an individual's wrong choices resulting in terrible tragedy, a central character who has the skills to solve the mystery, and after plot twists and dead ends, guilty party is brought to justice and hope is restored. Apparently, uh, Hollywood producers and financers really dislike investing in films that don't have uplifting and optimistic endings. Public tend not to like them. Films are usually less financially successful. It does seem that we are hardwired for a story that ends with hope. This morning, we're continuing our Advent series looking at ever-present God, but particularly today, focusing on the ever-present hope that we can find in God. So let's pray. 
Father God, take my thoughts and your word and speak to our hearts. Open our eyes to see the ever-present and living hope that can only be found in Jesus. Amen. Uh, so I wonder if you're thinking this is Advent and Christmas series about ever-present God. Why on earth are we looking at a passage from Genesis and not starting our thoughts of hope with Jesus' birth? We've gone right back to the very beginning of the biblical narrative, first book in the Bible, Genesis, because the Christmas story of God's promise and redemption and saving grace doesn't start with Jesus being born as a baby. It starts right at the beginning with Adam and Eve. The theologian Sandra Richter explains that Adam and Eve living contentedly in the Garden of Eden is God's perfect intent for all humanity, that we should be God's people dwelling in God's place with full access to God's presence. She argues that after Eve and then Adam's decision to stop trusting God for everything they need and their banishment from the garden and God's presence, the whole of the rest of the biblical narrative, and she describes it as from Eden's gate to the gates of the new Jerusalem in Revelation, is about the hope of God's rescue plan, that all humanity be welcomed back into relationship with him, that we will be God's people dwelling in God's place with full access to God's presence. There is a promise of hope that death and sin will be defeated through Jesus from the very beginning of the Bible. The concept of hope in the Bible is very different from our contemporary view. It's not just about having an optimistic outlook a way of looking at situations and circumstances, thinking that everything will turn out for the best. Biblical, ho biblical hope is not based on circumstance. It has more of a concept of waiting, an expectation that something will change. Many of the people in the Bible who look to God for their hope are in very trying circumstances. No immediate evidence that things will improve but they choose to hope anyway. Prophet Micah is a very good example. He sees only despair. In chapter seven and verse two, he says, the faithful have been swept from the land, not one upright person remains. Everyone lies in wait to shed blood. They hunt each other with nets. Very depressing picture. And yet in verse seven, he chooses to look to God with hope. But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. He isn't blindly trusting and hoping that things will get better. He is trusting in his experience of God's faithfulness and trusting in God's character. Biblical hope is not based on circumstance, but it is based on a person. The psalmists look to God for their hope. Hope is mentioned over 40 times in the psalms and is a key theme of 36 of the 150 psalms. For example, in Psalm 33, we read, We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. 
But alongside this hope and this waiting is the promise that God will act. Some commentators see these glimpses of God's rescue plan as the silver thread of hope that's woven through the whole biblical narrative. And we see this first glimpse of the rescue plan in our reading that we had this morning from Genesis 3. Adam and Eve have chosen to go their own way and not follow God's plan. God banishes them from his presence. But before they leave Eden, their perfect home, God makes a promise that the serpent will be defeated. In verse 14, we read, So the Lord God said to the snake, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your, your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This offspring of Eve is better translated as the seed, the seed that will overcome the serpent, although in their overcoming, they will be struck down. There is hope, but there is waiting. In that waiting, there are glimpses of how God will bring about his rescue plan, that there is a redeemer who is going to come. The prophets, and in particular Isaiah, reveal the signs of the Redeemer, and that there are some fami very familiar passages that we often read at Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. In Isaiah 7 and verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then, in the biblical narrative, there are 400 years of waiting. The virgin birth at the start of the New Testament is the first glimmer of the silver thread of God's redemption plan coming into being. God has stepped into time and space. The promise of the seed of Eve has been fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. If the question of hope begins with what Adam and Eve lose when they're banished from God's presence, it is completed in Jesus, who through his death and resurrection brings restoration to all who believe and trust in him. God invites us to restore our relationship with him through believing in Jesus, so that we can again be God's people, dwelling in God's place with full access to God's presence. We have the hoped-for promise in Jesus. God has completed his rescue mission, and through the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus, 
he has given the whole of humanity a way to be restored in relationship with him. Yet, we are still waiting. We are free, but we still sin. We are born again, but we still experience death. We wait for the promise of a new Jerusalem where the curse of sin is repealed and death is defeated. We live in this tension now and not yet. We've recommended Joe Swinney's new Advent book, The Whole Christmas Story, this year for people to enjoy. If you had a chance to read her introduction, you'll know that her plans for a book that focused on the bigger picture of God's hope and redemption were interrupted by life-shattering events. Three months into writing the book, she had the terrible news that her parents had been involved in a catastrophic accident in South Africa. Her mother was killed. Her father was seriously injured. She recalls that first Christmas without her mother, remembering her mother as someone who so loved the joy and hope of Christmas. And she beautifully describes the tension of living with hope amongst her grieving. She says, one thing I know, the Christmas baby has given me a sure and certain hope that one day I will see her again and we will be together in the unveiled presence of the triune God. Our hope in Jesus is in his dominion that is in an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So I have a couple of challenges for us this morning. Firstly, where are we looking for our hope right now? Is it focused on situations and circumstances, people, material things, health, well-being? If it all fell away, what is the foundation of your hope? In Hebrews 6.19, we're reminded that if we trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Saviour, then we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Do you know that sure foundation of hope, an anchor for your soul that can be found in Jesus? If you're not sure, we would really love to be able to pray for you at the end of this morning. Do come and speak to me or to Tim. Don't leave this morning without asking and experiencing God's everlasting hope. Secondly, if you have experienced the hope that comes from trusting in the death and resurrection of Jesus, I would challenge each of us not to keep it to ourselves. We've looked at the silver thread of hope that weaves through the whole biblical narrative and leads to Jesus. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end with his birth, death, and resurrection. It continues with the gift of the Holy Spirit in the heart of all who believe and trust in Jesus. It continues in the church, in the family of God. We are living and active glimpses of God's hope right now, right here. How are you going to share the ever-present hope of Jesus this Christmas? What can others see in the way we live our lives? the choices we make, our words and actions that demonstrate that God's hope is available to all who ask. 
we do have an everlasting hope, and his name is Jesus. So I'm going to end by, we haven't forgotten, I'm going to light our Advent candles as a symbol of the hope that we have in Jesus, and then pray for us all. As Paul prayed in Romans 15, I pray for each of us this Christmas. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.